Well, howdy, y'all. Welcome to episode number 15 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. I am your host, producer, editor, and head bottle washer, Michael Mitchell. For those of y'all that follow the podcast, the podcast, the podcast, oh my gosh. For those of y'all that follow the podcast and listen to me, thank you. I really appreciate that. Thanks for sitting on the back porch with me. You know, figuratively speaking, of course. And just listen to me tell stories on a little bit of the research that I do. I have a lot of fun doing this. I learn a lot of things along the way as well. So I really like kind of passing that along to y'all. Love that. Last week was a stupid crazy week for me, just to share a little bit. Um, We had the typical uh, scout nights, you know, Monday night. We had... uh, some scouting stuff, some planning, things that we were doing. We do Boy Scouts pretty heavy here where I live. Tuesday night's always scout night, so we have a female Boy Scout troop. Uh, And then it it starts about an hour before my son's Boy Scout troop across town. So I always have to end with my daughters and my wife and boogie over to the other side of town so I can get my my, uh, son to his, his scout troop. So anyway, that was scout night. It was super busy. Uh, And then Wednesday morning, we got up and I flew out with my broker to Pontiac, Michigan. So we were doing some mortgage training, some new stuff. And it it was really cool. Like the weather up there was gorgeous. It was like 93 here when we left. And then we landed and it's like 52 in Detroit. (laughs) It was like, ooh, this is nice. So it was really cool. I uh, I got to hear Tony Robbins speak which holy smokes like i'd seen some stuff on that guy but gosh almighty we did three hours with him and i was about worn out you talk about a high intensity guy good night also got to hear and meet um tarek el musa from the hdtv series flipper flop this was actually the first time that he'd come and spoken to a a big audience about this uh and he was pretty good very nice uh, very humble guy um you know, very cool. Let me take a picture with him. So, you know, there we go. I met I met another famous celebrity. So, woohoo. So, lastly, I do want to give a shout out to my broker. Um, she had earned some extra points on her credit card over the last year or so. And so, she decided to upgrade us to first class on the flight up there and back, which for her is no big thing. She, she used to be, a, oh gosh, what'd she call it? Um, not a world traveler, a road warrior. That's what she called it. She used to be a road warrior. She used to do classes and empowerment classes and all this stuff kind of all over the world, um, you know, a few short years ago. And now she's just kind of settled down here in Wichita Falls where we are, and she's a realtor and a mortgage broker. So, yeah, uh, she had said something about, you know, I'll, I'll be up in first class. I hope you don't mind being back in coach and I said, well, I've never flown first class, so doesn't bother me. I'm fine sitting back there and coach. Well, she decided to upgrade me and give me that experience. And so what I'll say to to Debbie, my broker, is thank you. I I really do appreciate that. It was nice. You know, I didn't get just peanuts. We got actual meals up there in first class, uh, alcohol if we wanted it. So it, it was interesting. So she spoiled me a little bit, and I'm just not sure that I can ever go back to sitting in coach with the peasants anymore. Um, but I've been reflecting on it and thinking about it, and I <clears throat> I do worry a little bit 
that I'm going to feel bad next time that I'm sitting in first class and uh, and my wife and kids are in the are in the back of the plane. <laughs> oh Lord, I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. Anyway, I guess I'll cross that bridge when I get there. So there you go. That that was a really interesting week, and it's been a wild and woolly week uh, so far this week. So anyway, before we jump into too much, as always, I want to mention our sponsor, uh, Miracle Mortgage. So I know there are tons of people moving to and in Texas, and I know a lot of y'all do too. So let me help them out. I'm an independent mortgage loan originator. So a lot of people don't know what that means. I'm, I'm an independent. I work for you as the borrower. I don't work for a bank specifically. So um, I have your best interest in heart when I'm working on stuff. And that's the best thing about working uh, with a mortgage broker like me. So uh, I've got my friend and broker who owns and started Miracle Mortgage, which is amazing. It's just her and I. Uh, we help finance people's dream homes here in Texas. The really tough part, again, about doing mortgages is that nobody really wants what I'm selling, which is kind of weird. Um, never had to do that before. But, you know, in all seriousness, the majority of people can't buy a house without a little bit of help. And so that's why I'm here. And, you know, the mortgage process is, it, it's a pain. It can be, but, you know, why not work with somebody who's at least a little entertaining and wants to make this process as painless as possible. So send them my way. So anyway, if you hear of somebody moving to or in Texas, send them to themichaelmitchell.com. Let me help them out. And again, as always, remember, here at Miracle Mortgage, we sell dreams, not mortgages. Isn't that nice? So there you go. We've wasted a little bit of time right there in the beginning of this show. But, uh, you know, this this week, episode 15, um, I heard some people talking about, you know, haunted places around Detroit and Pontiac, which is where I was last week. And that got me thinking about Texas. And I'm sure that we have one or two here. And so I thought, you know, I'll just look up what some of the most haunted places are <clears throat> here. And uh, there are tons of them. And so I just pulled out a few. Um, there's even an old, uh, as they used to say, insane asylum here in Wichita Falls that's now been converted into a, uh, I think it's been converted into a house. But a police officer friend of mine who's into paranormal stuff said, oh yeah, we've been out there quite a few times, you know. Him and his wife do the uh, the whole paranormal thing. And so they went out there checking it out. But So yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool place. I've been by there several times and went, nope, I'm not interested. So, I am a believer in the paranormal. I, I do think there are uh, ghosts, uh, hurtful spirits, all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm not like super into it, but, you know, I believe every, being a science guy, like I believe that there, you know, everything revolves around electricity and magnetism here on Earth. And, um, you know, I do believe there is a way, if a big traumatic event or something happens, there is a way for us to leave our, I don't know, essence or whatever, kind of our mark in time, I guess. And I I, I guess maybe there's people in tune with that and can, can feel that or see that. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it all. I just know that, yeah, I do, I do think there are ghosts and spirits and things like that. And so, and I've had a few experiences myself. But uh, let's, let's talk about a few that I haven't experienced. How about that? So what do y'all think that the number one haunted place in Texas would be? Anybody? Think about it for a second. 
Yeah, probably the biggest one that comes up the most is the Alamo. So, of course, the Alamo is uh, one of the most iconic historical sites in the United States. It's obviously known for its role in the Texas Revolution. Um, but did you know that it's also one of the most haunted places in Texas? And that's number one on our list today. So visitors and staff members have all reported seeing ghostly apparitions, uh, hearing footsteps and voices, and they've also said that they feel a sense of uh, oh, what, un unease, I guess, while walking through the Alamo's corridors. So, but who are those ghosts? And where did they come from? So first, let's, let's start with a little bit of history, because everybody's always going to go, well, of course, the Battle of the Alamo. Well, yeah, obviously. Let's just not talk about those ghosts. But let's start with a little bit of history and not necessarily the Battle of the Alamo, but the Alamo before the battle. A lot of people don't think about this much. The Alamo was there for like, I don't know, it was old when the Battle of the Alamo happened. It was like, I don't know, it had been there 115 years, 120 years, something like that. So let's just step all the way back to 1718 when Franciscan monks started a little chapel in a cottonwood grove um, in around San Antonio that was part of a mission system that was set up by the king of Spain to save the souls of the natives in the area. Now that was of course the uh, prophetic reason we need to go save these poor savage souls but really let's be honest it came down to money. Um, he was hoping to exploit Texas and the area, and he needed people there to kind of secure his grip. And so why not start with monks who are there to do uh, God's work, of course. So the little chapel they started was called the Alamo. Um, it, I didn't find anything that said why. Maybe I ought to look that up. But uh, anyway, it wasn't until about 1802 uh, eight, that Spanish soldiers were actually stationed there. So you have this 80, 90 year period roughly where, I mean, it was just these Franciscan monks that were there saving the souls of, of these people. And life was hard, man, it was hard. And I mean, people know about the battle of the Alamo, but there, there were lots of battles before that. I mean, Mexico was trying to gain its independence um, you also had some of the Cajuns in Louisiana who were also fighting the Spaniards, you know, for some freedoms there. Like, and then you had the Native Americans who were causing all sorts of problems, you know, they didn't want people on their land either. And so, um, you know, for almost basically a hundred years, I mean, the Alamo was kind of a refuge out there. There was a lot going on. There's lots of war. Um, and so a lot of people died there. So not necessarily from other wars around the Alamo specifically, but I mean, people were taken there to help recover and obviously they died. You had disease, um, starvation, <clears throat> all kinds of stuff. And so lots of people had died at the Alamo long, long before the, the battle of the Alamo as we know it. So there are tons of stories about paranormal activities at the Alamo, but, but one kind of jumped out and stuck with me. And I thought this was interesting. And of course, here I am telling y'all about, you know, not the Battle of the Alamo, but now I'm going to jump into the Battle of the Alamo. So, sorry. So, way back in 1836, several weeks after the Battle of the Alamo, Santa Ana ordered General Andrade to raise, to raise the Alamo, not raise it like a flag, but 
raise, you know, like tear it down. And in doing so, he wanted to ensure that nothing was left standing. Obviously, you know, he wanted to make sure and wipe the Alamo off the face of the earth. So like any military commander holding a rank of general, uh, Andre delegated this unwholesome task to a trusted subordinate by the name of Colonel Sanchez. So Colonel Sanchez and his men go bebopping down to what remained of the old mission and found that really all that remained was the chapel. So unfortunately, Sanchez is like, I hate to tear down the chapel, but you know, we're going to carry out Santa Ana's orders. And so he instructs his troop to start tearing down the church. So as the, the group of soldiers go about, you know, they're preparing themselves to tear down this church. It says work was abruptly halted when six ghostly monks materialized from the walls of the chapel. Ooh. So the soldiers watched in stunned silence as these diablos slowly advanced, waving flaming swords over their heads, while at the same time issuing a warning in an inhuman screech. They were saying, do not touch the walls of the Alamo. Of course, heeding the ghostly advice, Colonel Sanchez and uh, and the soldiers leave. They're like, yep, El Paso on that crap. I mean, seriously, if I was told to go tear down a church and six ghostly monks with flaming swords come out wailing at me, you know, do not tear down this, this Alamo, then yeah, I'd probably leave too. So anyway, General Andrade hears of Colonel Sanchez's uh, obvious cowardice. He weenied out and ran away. So what a wussy, right? So General Andrade or Andrade, I'm not sure. I'm not Andrade. A-N-D-R-A-D-E. I'm going to call it Andrade. Y'all look it up. So he returns to the Alamo himself with troops and a cannon, just for good measure. Just, yeah, I mean, you never know. If there's flaming sword monks, you want a cannon. Especially if they're ghosts. I don't know. Maybe cannons take, take care of that. So Andrade instructs his gunners to aim the cannon at the front doors of the chapel. Because why not? But before it could be prepared to fire, the six ghostly monks reappear with their fiery swords in hand. And as these moaning figures uh, approach the, the general and his, his group of soldiers... They again issue their warning. The ghost moaning voice, voices, it says, startled Andre's, uh, Andre's horse, and the general was in, unseated. So what does unseated mean? He was, he was thrown out of the saddle. The horse had good enough sense to leave, you know. You know, General Andre's like, no, no, I'm going to stay here and fight these, you know, ghost monk, ghost fiery sword wielding monks. But his horse is like, well, I'm not. I'm out here like a fat kid in dodgeball. <laughs> so anyway, he's thrown off his horse. When he gets up, <clears throat> he regains his composure and the reins of his trusty steed that had just bucked him off. Uh, he was really disgusted to see all of his soldiers, all of his men fleeing for their lives. I mean, of course, I, 
I'm not going to stand around with six months waving, or six monks waving, you know, fiery swords at me. Nope. I'm with the horse, man. I'm out. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, he remounts his horse and he decides to leave and he looks at the Alamo. It says in the story, he looks at the Alamo one last time and to his horror, a wall of flame erupted from the ground in and around the low barracks around the chapel and the smoke from the holy, unholy fire, sorry, unholy fire then congealed into the form of a large imposing man. So this is like super monk, I guess. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I just laughed so hard. I'm thinking of Power Rangers, so now we've got super monks. <laughs> and so... Um, so anyway, this, this wall of flame, this unholy fire, comes together to form Super Monk. And in each of the massive Super Monk's hands are balls of fire, which he hurls at the general like an avenging angel. <laughs> I love the way they wrote this. Hurls it at the general like an avenging angel, Super Monk. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, he retreats from the scene, obviously before the fireballs hit him. Um, you know, and no one has dared harm the sacred site since. So folks at the time believed that the larger-than-life spirit was in a, uh, was a, a conglomeration of spectral energy of all of the dead Alamo defenders, and that when it uh, created, when it combined, it created the the mission's menacing protector. I don't like that. I'm going to go with Super Monk. Like, that just sounds awesome. So yeah, Super Monk. But I, I guess it could be, you know, the culmination of all the spectral energy of the dead Alamo defenders. I don't know. I assume their spirits were still pretty pissed off at what had happened. So anyway, so the, the fun part of this is official records and later archaeological excavations conducted the Alamo um, pretty much contradict this entire story about the six phantom monks or whatever. Um, factual evidence actually shows that Andre uh, successfully leveled many of the walls of the fort and dismantled or burned the wooden palisade um, that was out in front of the church and, uh, and along the south wall of the compound. And so, uh, anyway, yeah. There, there really, I guess there wasn't a fiery giant as the story suggests, but I still like it. I thought it was funny. It gave a good laugh, but but here's another fun one that comes up, and it's kind of a spoof too. So it focuses on the spirit of a little boy who is rumored to haunt the park's gift shop. Because where else would a little boy ghost hide out other than the gift shop, right? So visitors and park rangers claim to have seen a blonde-haired little boy ranging from the age to 10 to 12 years old staring out into the courtyard from one of the store's high and this is very important, inaccessible windows. The small boy is only visible from the waist up and has never become a full-bodied apparition. So rangers have rushed in and searched the gift shop in hopes of catching the ghostly prankster, but have always come up, of course, empty-handed. In each instance, they have concluded that there is no way that a real person could perch him or herself in the window without something to climb up. 
and some way support themselves. So the mystery only gets a little more convoluted when you also consider the fact that the gift shop wasn't built uh, until the 1930s. <laughs> so uh, apparently some other stuff that I read, this is like a cowboy looking young boy. So presumably from long ago, I don't know, may maybe, maybe the spirit was like, oh, cool, a gift shop. I'll just haunt this place. That's cool that they built me a place to haunt. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's like, well, I can't haunt the church because we got those six weirdo fire sword wielding monks that combine into into super monk. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the story is. So um, if you get a chance to go to the Alamo, though, in all seriousness, it is a very... Uh, it's a very like sacred you you just feel it's a very sacred place and not just because of all the stuff for texas or whatever but throughout its entire history there there actually is lots of stuff that's happened there and so it's it's a very very interesting place to go and uh they're working on it all the time to build up um, the museum and everything make it even better so there you go there's the alamo um, we're going to blow through these next few because, man, I ran a little long on that one, but that's okay. So the next one is the Emily Morgan Hotel, which is in San Antonio. It has a history that includes serving as both a hospital and a morgue, which most hospitals have a morgue in. Um, today, guests staying at the hotel have reported encountering the spirit of a woman who appears in their room at night. It's never happened to me, but, you know, whatever. Um, as well as strange noises um, and the feeling of being touched by an unseen force. Huh. So first off, let's talk a little bit about how the hotel looked. I, I looked up some uh, I looked up some pictures of the place and it's it's a wicked cool looking place. Um, it's built very much in the Gothic style. Uh, and I uh, they talk about this, but I couldn't find any good pictures of it. Uh, it says it's complete with gargoyles, except that the gargoyles depict various ailments and afflictions which highlight the original purpose of the building, which was a hospital. But I couldn't find any pictures of the gargoyles, which is disappointing. So I guess, I guess I'm going to have to go unless one of my faithful you know, fives of followers um, <laughs> go down there, take some pictures. So basically, though, it sounds like your normal haunting. Elevators stop on floors for no reasons door closing when no one is around, and the smell of antiseptic on the 14th floor. You know, the normal stuff. Uh, <laughs> I actually said the smell of antiseptic and Band-Aid, the thing that I was reading, and I'm like, oh, I don't know that I really smelled a Band-Aid. I, I guess I've never paid that much attention. But there are also reports of a lady in white wandering around the hallways that cast no shadow. They report that they've caught light orbs and just other general nefarious floating lights on their security system. Um, anyway, I mean, if you get to, if you get to checking it out a little bit, it's called the Emily Morgan hotel there in San, uh, San Angelo, sorry, San Antonio. And so it sounds like a cool place to stay, you know, if you're kind of into that kind of thing. So yeah, the Emily Morgan hotel. So there's two for San Antonio. So number three, this is the USS Lexington. And for those of y'all that don't know, the USS Lexington is a retired aircraft carrier that now serves as a museum in Corpus Christi, Texas. And I have never been 
I would like to go. They used to offer a bunch of Cub Scout trips where you could go stay the night on the Lexington. I think they still do that, but I never got the opportunity to go. So, um, but it, it might seem like an unlikely spot for ghosts. However, visitors have reported hearing phantom footsteps, <clears throat> seeing apparitions, and feeling cold spots while exploring the ship. Um, as it gets hotter in Texas now, I would like to be able to identify those cold spots. Um, whether they're apparitions or not, that way my chubby butt can go stand in them <laughs> when it's hot outside. Anyway, a <laughs> little side note there. So among the most famous sightings are a sailor dressed in uniform helping lost guests find their way back to the deck. So that's always good. You know, there are lots of stories. There's even a story about Philmont Scout Ranch out in New Mexico about the, the lost Boy Scout that always helps, you know, helps get you back on the trail. Never seen him myself, but anyway, the other one is a sailor in the engine room uh, giving a lecture on how the turbines work before vanishing into thin air. That would be interesting. So uh, another interesting thing about the ship, though, is it is called the Blue Ghost. That's its nickname. So the Japanese actually reported that they had sunk the Lexington no less than four times. Yet each time the ship returned to fight again, leading the, the propagandist, uh, Tokyo Rose, to nickname the USS Lexington the Blue Ghost. And so the name is a tribute to the ship and the crew and the air groups that served aboard her. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. So not only are we talking about apparitions and ghosts and phantoms and stuff on the Lexington, its nickname is actually the Blue Ghost. So let's jump into a little bit of history, though, because I, I think this may explain. Obviously, it's been to war, and so that would explain some stuff. But <clears throat> So it's a World War II aircraft. Um, it was one of the oldest working aircraft carriers uh, in the U.S. Navy when it was decommissioned in 1991. So that's pretty cool. So it was commissioned in 1943, and uh, the ship actually set a lot of records, more records, in fact, than any other Essex-class carrier in the history of naval aviation. So the ship was the oldest working carrier in the United States Navy when it was de decommissioned in 91, like I just said. Um, so there was an Essex-class carrier, the Lexington, and it was originally named the USS Cabot, C-A-B-O-T. And then during World War II, so final construction was being completed at the Massachusetts Four River Shipyard when word was received that the original carrier named the USS Lexington, or CV-2, had been sunk in the Coral Sea. So I guess everybody got together and talked about it, and they decided, well, that one sank, so let's just make this one the USS Lexington as well. So they did. So after training maneuvers and a shakedown cruise, the carrier joined the 5th Fleet at Pearl Harbor. Um, the fleet was established on April 26, 44, 1944, and was the Central Pacific Force during World War II. The carrier participated in nearly every major operation in the Pacific Theater and spent a total of 21 months in combat, which is really impressive. Uh, the, Lexing the Lexington's planes destroyed 372 enemy aircraft in air, 475 more on the ground. Uh, it sank or destroyed 300,000 tons of enemy cargo 
and damaged an additional 600,000 tons. And the ship's guns shot down 15 planes and assisted in downing five more. So that's some pretty cool history. Um, and really, if you think about it, having seen so much war and battle and all that, there's no doubt in my mind that the ghost of the sailors that cared for the ship over its almost storied 50-year history, that they're, I mean, it's very likely they could still be there caring for it today. I, I, that sounds familiar. You know, not familiar. That sounds reasonable. Because, man, the Navy guys really love their ships. It's, it's awesome. So let's go to number four, the Driscoll Hotel. So it's located in Austin, Texas. The Driscoll Hotel is known for its luxurious accommodations and beautiful architecture, which it is. It's a pretty hotel. But it's also known for its, of course, ghostly inhabitants. <clears throat> Guests have reported seeing the ghost of a young girl who died in the hotel, as well as other spirits who seem to be stuck in the building. So let's do a little history on the hotel, right? So the hotel was actually commissioned and paid for by its namesake, Jesse Driscoll. He had been a successful cattle baron and moved to Texas from Missouri uh, after the Civil War. He had made tons of money selling beef to the Confederate Army during the Civil War. And when the conflict ended, he was left with a bunch of fat stacks of cash and he decided to spend it and build a hotel, diversify his portfolio, as they say. So he bought the land in Austin in 1884. And then two years later, he had his grand opening. <clears throat> One thing that is pointed out often is that the hotel was paid for by blood money since the majority of the money was profited from the Civil War itself. And I even found one writer that describes the hotel like this. The hotel uh, is a karmic whammy in and of itself. It was paid for, furnished, and marketed with money put into Jesse Driscoll's pockets on the backs of dead soldiers, human misery, and slaughtered cows. The whole assembly line from start to finish was drenched in blood and vile. Wow. Jeez. That's that's a pretty incredible way to put that. I've never heard anything described like that. But yeah, blood and vile. Uh, dead soldiers, human misery, and, and slaughtered cows. That's important to put out there. So let's talk about some of the spirits. So one of the spirits said to be in the hotel itself is actually dress, uh, Jesse Driscoll himself. Um, it is said that he blew all of his money on the hotel and then profits that he was making off the hotel, he spent on booze, women, and gambling. Yeah. Gosh, booze, women, and gambling. They get a lot of good men. So it's said that he lost the deed to the hotel at the poker table. And so being still irritated about that, he still haunts the hotel today. Another spirit that still roams the hotel is what they call the bride. It is said that in the early 1990s, a distraught bride checked into room 329. After her fiance called off their wedding, she was apparently very distraught and the next day went on a $40,000 shopping spree. Uh, and then the day after that, so I guess the third day of mourning, 
I guess she decides to shoot herself in the hotel room. Um, well, sounds like a reasonable end, I guess. She could have gone out and found another guy. I don't know. I guess it was the love of her life. But anyway, she lost her love. Then she lost all of her money and decides to off herself in the hotel. So apparently she still haunts the hotel. And that's interesting because that was in the early 1990s, which, you know, when people say 1990s, I think just a couple of years ago. That's like 30 years ago now. God. Anyway, so another spirit in the hotel is the ghost of a child who died after plummeting to his death down a flight of stairs. It is said that the kid made a grab for a, a bouncy ball and just kind of overreached and fell down the stairs. Um, <clears throat> I did read a thing. There were some paranormal investigators that have checked out the hotel and have said that they have, in fact, caught the faint sound of a ball ping-ponging against the walls while a mischievous child's voice giggles. Oh, man. I got chills when I wrote this down, and I got shivers up my spine just now saying it. So, whew. Man, if you're if you're ever down in good old Austin, Texas, and you feel like going to a hotel where you might still find some paranormal activity, sounds like the Driscoll might be a good place. So the, the last one, um, oh, it, it's called La Lamita Chapel. And I'm trying to think, uh, shoot, the movie with Nicolas Cage, golly, where he's the motorcycle rider. I can't think of the name right now. I can't pull it out of my head. But anyway, I had heard that the story was a little bit based on this little chapel, um, Ghost Rider. Good God. I don't know why I couldn't figure that out. Ghost Rider. And so I'd heard, you know, because they're trying to get all the souls from this one chapel down in Texas somewhere, I think. Um, anyway, I'd heard a little story at some point that somebody was like, oh, it was based on this place. So this is located right outside of Mission, Texas. It's called La Lomita Chapel. And it's an old adobe structure that was built... It says 1865 in one spot, and in another spot I found 1899s. I don't know. Somewhere between 1865 and 1900. So legend has it that the spirit of a young girl haunts the chapel, and visitors have reported hearing her singing or laughing, and some have even seen her ghostly figure near the altar. And so, uh, so like I said, apparently it was built 1865, 1899, I don't know to serve the, uh, I don't know if it's Oblate or Oblate Mission District uh, for all of Hidalgo County. So this is way down on the border. The family that owned the area sold their ranch uh, in like 1907 uh, and kept a few acres, but then they ended up moving to Mission, Texas, where a new road and the new railroads were coming in. So the family officially moved to Mission around 1910. And so I guess the chapel was left on their place and it was kind of left neglected and deteriorating at that point. So uh, the old chapel, as a lot of places call it, at La Lomita, was repaired and furnished again in 1928 and was considered a precious, precious relic of the past and a shrine to Our Lady of Guadalupe. So there was a hurricane in 1933 which caused damage um, so it was repaired again by 1939. 
And it is said that the most frequent ghost sighting there is a woman suspended in air while praying. Huh. It's also said that she is believed to be the spirit of a nun that was there for a short time and presumably, I guess, died in that area. So there you have it. Like Lalamita, I'd love to go down there sometime. There's some pictures of the little chapel. Um, looks like a pretty little place. Um, but yeah, so there you have it. Five ghostly places to visit in Texas. I'm sure I'll have plenty of more, uh, plenty more. If you guys think of any, man, shoot me messages. Let me know. I get lots of friends that text me on Messenger or just text me straight up that listen to this. You know, I, there's a way for you to respond here too. So I will say I find it super interesting that in this episode, we did not come across any uh, goat-headed or, you know, hooved apparitions. That's kind of nice, I guess. Um, yeah, so we didn't we didn't come upon any weird stuff. Just, you know, lights and just your typical ghost. So I don't think that's too bad. So uh, there's our podcast for today. What better things to listen to on a Wednesday or whenever you're listening to this podcast? I see the people listen to it throughout all the, the, the rest of the week, so that's great. I want to thank everyone really truly for tuning in. Of course, thank my sponsor, you know, me, Miracle Mortgage. Um, keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them my way. Tell them to go check me out at the, T-H-E, so themichaelmitchell.com. And remember, we sell dreams, not mortgages. I do really enjoy helping people get into homes. That's, it's really a nice feeling to be able to help somebody. So, all right, folks, I'm going to sign off here. As always, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.